0: A big, thank you, obviously, to the, uh, a big thank you, obviously, to the Rubens for hosting and uh, a bit of a last-minute notice, like many things in the Shtiebel are. So a big thank you to the Rubens for hosting and maybe not just, maybe now's the time to give a proper karsatai, not just for hosting, but I think for everything that the Rubens as a whole and I think specifically Surly Rubin has done to not just, uh, not just to get the Shtiebel off the ground, but I think time and, time and time again has been there tirelessly for everybody in the Shtiebel and in the community and it's, uh, we, all, we all owe I myself personally owe a tremendous hakar to him. And uh this house should be filled with bracha, this house should be filled with parnasa, this house should be filled with the Shef of Ruchnias and Gashmias, it should be a place where Mirthashem, a lot of lot of events continue to take place. Maybe at the same time, maybe it's maybe it's worthwhile, maybe at the beginning of the year, it's also worthwhile maybe just giving giving a hakar satif, I think, to all the women that husbands come to the Shibo. I know that I've heard from many of the husbands and some of the wives. That sometimes it could be challenging. Definitely, I think the hours are uh, the hours are longer, and definitely at times, you know, times the husbands are at the uh, at the shtibol for longer than they may be used to. Maybe it's Shalshudis, maybe it's Fabrings, maybe it's a longer Friday night davening, maybe it's a longer Kiddush Shabbos day, maybe it's trips to uh, Ukraine and Kerestir and Eretz Yisrael. So I just can say from my side of the mechitza that I can definitely see the tremendous tremendous growth that's taking place. From from every one of the husbands, it's really it's phenomenal to see. It's less than two years, and just to watch people growing, it's really it's unbelievable to see. So, although I know it's definitely challenging at times, or very often, but at least uh, at least we can see that the growth is Baruch Hashem is taking place, and the effort that's being put in, and the time that's being put in, is uh, is definitely clearly paying off in Ruchnius in a very very real way. So, Yishekaich to all of you for all of the time and effort that you put in to allow your husbands to be part of the Steibel. Now. Officially supposed to be talking about Chodesh El. Officially we have this year once a month. We're supposed to be talking about the month of Elul, and hopefully we'll discuss the month of Elul and maybe more specifically Tshuva and really the process of Elul leading into Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, maybe all the way to Sukkot, and how uh, how the how the next month or two really plays itself out. So when we think about the month of Elul, I think that probably most often. We think of the month of Elul as a month of tshuva. It's a month of introspection. It's a month where we're supposed to sit and have time to be able to go through our life, to be able to go through our day, go through our month, go through the things in our life that are not so perfect, the things in our life that we struggle with, things in our life that we would like to be better, the things in our life we would like to get rid of, and try to figure out how we can be able to perfect ourselves, how we can better ourselves, how we can turn ourselves into better people. And it's a very, very difficult task. Nobody likes ever at any point in their life, and definitely not for a month long, to sit and to put a magnifying glass in their life, and to sit and to try to focus on everything that's wrong in their life, or everything that could be better. It's a difficult thing, and it's something that I think everybody naturally, the the body of everybody, the nefesh Bahamas of everybody naturally wants to avoid, and actually tries to run away from. And therefore, many, many people, when it comes into the month of Elul, there's a certain anxiety that takes place, and a certain, I, I don't know what's gonna take place, we're getting closer to Rosh Hashanah, and there's a Yom HaDin, and I know that I'm supposed to be perfecting myself, I'm supposed to go through everything in my life that's wrong, it's a very hard and difficult thing to do, and I don't really like looking at the parts of my life that are imperfect and trying to perfect them. And it becomes a very difficult thing. And many, more, maybe more often than not, we tend to just sort of sidestep it up until it gets maybe till slichas, you know, in a short amount of time, till Rosh Hashanah, a serious Yum Kippur. And as it gets closer and closer to the I I to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, we're sort of forced to at least make a little bit of a little bit of reckoning to try to figure out. Where, where we are and where we should be, where we've been over the past year, what we tried to implement over the past year since last L that has failed, that has been successful. And it's a difficult to avoid that. I want to perhaps take another approach to chuva, which is not ignoring what chuva is, but I think on the contrary, I think it's getting to the core of what real chuva looks like. Chuva is not just about the process of perfecting our lives and not just about looking at our lives in the magnifying glass and not just making a laundry list of everything in our life that's wrong and everything that could be better. It's part of chuva, but that's the external part of chuva what we always try to do is to try to peel back the layers and say, okay, that's the external, that's the part of chuva that we know. We've all known growing up, and we all know that that's what we're supposed to be doing. But let's perhaps take a little bit of a deeper look into what chuva is supposed to look like, what the core of chuva is, maybe perhaps we're the things that are going wrong in our life, where they come from, what chuva is, and by understanding really the core of chuva, the essence of chuva, the pinemius of chuva, I think will help us to be able to go into this avodah of Khadish rosh hashanah, Asar Smeh Chuva, Yum Kippur in a way which is much more Will be much more successful. I think it will be a healthier approach towards Elul or Shashanim Kippur, Sukkis, and will be something which I think we'll all appreciate doing and will actually have a real effect. If our whole Elul is just about self examining ourselves and criticizing ourselves and putting ourselves down for all the things we don't do right, most of the time we avoid it and we don't end up walking out of Elul and out of the year a better person. Maybe we'll make small kabbalas that may not last. Uh, it, it's worthwhile to try to maybe take a different approach that we can walk out of Elo, walk out of our Shoshani and Kippur Sukkis, being different people and saying that we've actually gained something out of this Yom and and we actually changed who we are as people, we've changed our families and we'll walk out as better people. So hopefully by peeling back some of the layers, some of the external parts of what Shuva looks like and trying to get to the core of Chuva, we'll hopefully be able to have a different approach and something which will be a more long-lasting approach and something which will hopefully help us, our families and you know, allow, our, allow ourselves to grow in a real way. So when we focus on what tshuva is, we focus on the month of Elul. So one would think that if the month of Elul is the month in which we do tshuva, so we would spend every day during Elul saying slichas, which is what the Sfarim do. Ashkenazim don't do that. Ashkenazim don't focus during chaydesh Elul. There's no more tefillas that we say during chaydesh Elul. We don't add anything into davening. There's no slichas that takes place up until really the week before Shoshana, shortly before Shoshana. That's the only time we begin really saying slichas. There's no vida that takes place. There's no ashamnu no bagadnu. We really don't talk about Averish at all during Chodesh Elo. And it's very odd because if the month of Elo is supposed to be a month of when, we do, when we're doing tshuva, when we're perfecting ourselves, when we're self-examining, so why don't we find that that's part of what Chazal said to do during Elo. We don't find it anywhere that that's what we're supposed to be doing during Elo. Elo looks like every other day of the year. Elo looks like every other month of the year. Somehow we're supposed to be preparing for Rosh Hashanah, but it doesn't seem like the focus is on chuva. The focus is on living life regularly, maybe a little bit more elevated, but where do we find that there's a focus on chuva during the month of Elul? In what way is this the month of Chuva when we don't see practically any avayda, anything that we're supposed to be doing different during the month of Elul than every other month? And even more so, when it comes into Rosh Hashanah itself, you know there's a Sarisamei Chuva, there's 10 days of chuva, the two first days of the Aser Chuva Tshuva are the first two days of Rosh Hashanah. and Rosh Hashanah, we don't once mention the concept of Averus. We don't say Hashamnu, we don't say slachlanu, slach avinu kichatanu. we don't talk about the concept of Averus at all on Rosh Hashanah. And there has to be that there's something more to Tshuva than just making a list of all the things we've done wrong and saying, Rabban Hashem, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong because the whole El, we don't do it besides for doing slichos, we don't do it on Rosh Hashanah, which is the first two days, and the first is obviously going to be the beginning of something is always going to be the way something is supposed to be, and we don't do it during Elul, and we don't do it during, at the beginning of a seri sumay Chuva. so it has to be that there's another approach to chuva, which hopefully we'll examine, which is another way to do chuva, which is not just focusing on that which I've done wrong, or that which I should have done right, but focusing on the core and the essence of what chuva looks like. So let's perhaps discuss what what chuva really looks like and what the chuva of elo as opposed to a sarasume chuva. During a sarcum chuva, at least once you get past the first two days, there is a concept of you know, talking about everything we've done wrong and focusing on it, and in Yom Kippur we focus on this a lot. There's an Hashemnu, a and we go through the Al Alchets where we talk about the list of what we've done wrong. But during Elul, there's another way to do chuva, which is really the hakdamah. It's the preface to all tshuva that's going to take place during the rest of the Sarysamet Chuva and during Yom Kippur, and that's the chuva of Chaydes Elul. So, what is the Chuva of Chaydes Elul? So we know that the month of Elul, really leading up to Rosh Hashanah, is focused on one thing. It's what, the, it's what it's called in Davening, we say this throughout Rosh Hashanah, it's called Malchus. Malchus means the kingship of the Rabban Shalom. The focus during Chodesh Elul is not simply on tshuva, it's not simply on what I've done wrong and what I should be doing right. The focus during the month of Elul is on one word, that the Rabbani Shalom is the Melech, Malchus. That's the goal of Malchus. Now if we take Malchus and we want to we understand What what it means that we focus on making Hashem into the Melech. Hashem is the King. Hashem doesn't need us to crown Him as the King. What does it mean that on Rosh Hashanah we're supposed to coronate Hashem as the King? And during the month of Elul, we're supposed to be working on preparing ourselves, not just for tshuva, but really for this concept of Malchus, of preparing Hashem to be the King, of crowning Hashem as the King. What does it mean to be a Melech? So the best way we can figure out what a Melech means when it comes to Hashem is to focus on what Malchus means in this world. Chazal Havelash and Chazal write Malchus to Rekiah and Malchus to Ara. That the malchus, the melch down here, a king down here is a muscle is a parable for what the Rabban looks like up in Shemayim. And if we take a melech down here, what what are kings involved in? You can see this now in Russia and Ukraine, what's taking place. And you can see this really all throughout the world, and especially in places where wars wars are still taking place. The goal of a king is not just to live in his kingdom, and not just to be able to rule his subjects and to make sure that everybody has everything they need. Many, many times what the king wants to do, aside from making sure that his kingdom is doing well, a king always wants to expand his borders. A king says, okay, this is my kingdom, my kingdom, know, Putin, my kingdom is Russia. And Putin says, I want Ukraine. Ukraine's another country, it's a big country, it's next to my country, it's a nice country, it's a very large country. Putin says, I don't wanna just be the king of Russia. I wanna be the king of Russia. I wanna be able to push the borders past Russia to go into Ukraine. I want South Korea and North Korea. The kings, part of the king, a part of what kings were involved in back in the day, for sure, when they're involved in physical wars very often, was the goal of expanding the borders. Here is my country. The country's running well. Everything's going well. The king's not going to sit back on his throne and say, okay, I'm happy to just remain a king in my country. The king is always pushing the borders out, trying to take more territory into his kingdom and be able to say that I want to expand. You have Napoleon. Napoleon wanted to take over the world. Real kings. And the Gemara talks about Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus ruled over the world. A real king. His goal in this world is to take over as much territory as possible. Any countries that he can be able, to, uh, be able to conquer, any more territory that he could be able to put under his kingdom is considered a victory and a success. And he's willing to spend a tremendous amount of money, a tremendous amount of manpower. He's willing to lose people just for the sake of spreading the borders, of being able to move from the place that he is, and to be able to take in more territory. By the Rabbin it works the same way. Kavi by the Rabbin the territory is In the world which is called the Beis Medrash, the Beis Akinesis, Kedusha, Torah, and Mitzvah. That's the place which is the Kedusha is very obvious. It's obvious that if a person walks into a shul, and a person davids, and a person takes out a siddur and a tehillim, and a person does something which is obviously Kedusha, that's the Rabbanisham's territory. That always was the Rabbanisham's territory. It always will be Hashem's territory. Hashem doesn't need us, so to speak, conquer that territory. That's the territory which is obviously the Rabbanishalim's from the moment the day was, from the moment the world was created, and from the moment the Torah was given, it's obvious that of and mitzvahs is Hashem's territory. You take a pair of tefillin, you take Shabbos candles, those things are things which are obviously Hashem's territory. But the reason why Hashem created the world was for the same reason a king wants to expand his territory. Hashem says the same way that I have my territory, the place that I exist in, in a very visible way, Hashem's goal in the creation of the world is to be able to spread the borders a little bit further and to say, okay, here is where I am obviously the king in the base Medrash, in the of Knesset, in Torah and mitzvahs, it's obvious that I'm the king, but the purpose of creation is that the Rabban Hashem could spread the borders a little bit further and you're able to take things which it's not visible and not obvious that Hashem is the king and suddenly you're able to reveal that Hashem is the king in those places also. Malchus to Rikia, Kain, Malchus to The same way a king wants to spread his borders, Teruban Hashem wants to spread his borders also. And to move it from the place which it's obvious that Hashem is there, to move it into the world of Gashmias. To move it from Ruchnias, where it's obvious Hashem's the king, to move it into the realm of Gashmias. And really, the purpose of all of creation. Forget about talking about Chaydesh, Elul, and Rosh Hashanah. All of creation is for this one purpose. Hashem put us down into this world, gave us challenges, gave us a body, gave us physical difficulties, spiritual difficulties, emotional difficulties. All of these difficulties are for one purpose. To be able to reveal Hashem in places that He's not obvious. You walk into the base of Mikdash; it's obvious that Raban Hashem dwells there. You live in Yushalayim, you live in Eretz Yisrael, it's obvious Hashem dwells there. Kali Yisrael then gets spread out throughout the throughout the 2,000 years of galus, and the goal of being spread out all over the world is to reveal Hashem and places that he wasn't revealed before. So when Kal Yisrael lives in America, I remember I was, when I was standing in my house the first Friday night I moved into my house, across the street on, 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 uh, on Whitesville. So I was standing in my house for the first time and before we moved into the house, it wasn't a kid that lived in the house. And when I first moved into the house, there were crosses on the house and there, were, there, were, there was a decent amount of Avodah zara around the house that I had, uh, had the opportunity to smash the Avodah zara as I moved into the house and I was constantly finding in the backyard another cross here, another little Buddha statue, statue here. And I walked in, I just remember standing in my house the first Friday night as I'm making Kiddush and I realized that I just expanded Hashem's territory a little bit further. Up until now, Baruch Hashem, it's expanded throughout the, you know, throughout the neighborhood of Talimon. It's expanded to places that the shuls and there's mikvahs and there's learning and this davening and there's chesed, that, that's the Kedusha has now been expanded. And now I just moved the expansion throughout the Erev and the shul and Kiddush Friday night and hosting people, the, the territory was expanded a little bit further. Up until now, here was a place, here was a physical space where Hashem wasn't revealed, and now suddenly, a yid makes Kiddush Friday night, a woman lights candles Friday night, somebody invites somebody else into the house, you do a chesed, a person pulls out a tehillim and says a to tehillim, somebody says something to the Ruban and invites the Ruban into a place that he wasn't in, now the Ruban is successful, not just in being the king over his own domain, which is ruchnius, but being able to spread that domain, being able to spread that kingship to the place of gashmius. And that's really the goal of the world. Hashem didn't make a mistake, chalila, by putting a neshama inside of a body and having this... this this dichotomy, this fight that takes place, the neshama wants one thing, the guf wants something else, it's a battle, an inner battle taking place at all times. The goal of this battle is that the neshama is able to win over the body and slowly, slowly be able to conquer more and more territory That in the place which it looked like was just physicality, it was just something which was just mundane, in that place you're able to invite Kedusha over there and you're able to spread Hashem's malchus to a greater place. That's what it means. <laughs> But the passage says the Malchus of Hashem is b'kol mashallah. Kol means everywhere. That the goal of the Malchus of Hashem, the goal of creation, was that Rabbi Hashem didn't need to be the king in Shemayim. It was obvious Hashem was the king in Shemayim. All the Malachim agreed that Hashem was the king in Shemayim. And they sit there and they sing Hashem's praises at every waking moment of the day, and at every moment of the day, day and night. The goal of the creation of the world in which it's not obvious Hashem is the king, is for humans to be able to come down to this world, to struggle, to be challenged, to be living with physicality, and to be able to reveal Hashem in that physical world. That is the goal of this world, and that is the goal of what it means, what the Rabban Hashem wants when we want to be Mamla Hashem. How do, we, how do we make Hashem king? The Rabbanishim's king, anyways, by inviting the Rabban Hashem into areas of our life in which it wasn't obvious that the the there before. The Svasamis writes that the goal of all of Tefillah is not for us to daven. And to get answered. Very often we think that what's the goal of tefillah? I have something that's not going well in my life. I then turn to the Rabbanishlam and I say, Shalom, these things are not going well. I need A, B, and C. I need help with this, and help with the kids, and help with chambais, and help with pranasa. I need help with making sure my kids do well in school. These are the things that I need in my life. Rabbanishlam, can you help me? And then the Shalom either says yes or not yet, or maybe a different time. Maybe this is not the best thing for you. Oh, that's generally the way we look at tefillah. The Svassama says it's not the goal of tefillah. He says the goal of tefillah is for the sake of recognizing the goal of tefillah is that I invite the Rabban to into areas of my life in which I didn't recognize who was there before. So when I'm struggling, when I have a challenge, when there's something that's not going well in my life, and I turn to the Rabban Hashem during tefillah, and I say, Rabban Hashem, I need your help. What I'm doing is I'm recognizing that the is everywhere. The is good for, to help me in every area of my life. Not just in Ruchnius, and not just in Gashmias in, in a very simple way, in the things that we know, Parnasa and Rafua, but in every area of my life. When I'm able to turn to the Rabbanishim and say, Rabbanishim, I need your help to make sure that the bus runs on time. I need your help to make sure that my kids do well in school today. It's the beginning of the school year, and I know that my kids have struggled in school. I say, Rabbanishim, please help me that my kids do well in school. What I'm doing is I'm inviting the Rabbanishim into areas of my life in which it may have not been obvious that he was there before. And the goal of tefillah, the Sefassama says, is the recognition that Hashem is everywhere. We say of Ezemra, the whole of Ezemra is just praising Hashem, the fact that the Rabbana Hashem is everywhere. The Shemayim and the Oritz and Shemei HaShemayim, Me'al HaShemayim, every part of creation, every part of nature, is the of them. The Rambam says that the best way that a person can work on havas Hashem, on really loving Hashem, is by looking out at nature and recognizing that all of nature was created by Hashem. So what I'm doing when I do that. As I'm saying, it's not just a tree, but this tree has now become a vehicle for me to be able to get a greater relationship with Hashem. I'm inviting the Rabbanishim to the area of the trees, of nature, of the physical world and the physical life that I live. And in that way, I just brought the Rabbanishim from Dalar Amis, from a very limited space, which is Rukhnius. And I just said the Rabbanishim is not Khalilah limited to any space. The Rabbanishim is everywhere and part and parcel of every decision that I make, part and parcel of everything that happens in my life. The Rabbanishim is there with me, holding my hand. Reb Tzaddik writes, it was just a Tzaddik's and Shabbos, and I mentioned this in Shul, Reb Tzaddik says that there's a difference between Amuna and something which is called Yichar Hashem Yisbarach. Reb Tzaddik says Amunah means that I know the Rabban runs the world, okay? The Rabbana is in charge of the world, but that's not the ultimate. Higher than Amuna, that Reb Tzaddik says, is Yichar Hashem Yisbarach. Yichar Hashem Yisbarach means that I recognize that the Rabbana is Echad. Echel means not just that the Rav is the only one, the Rav is everything. When we say Shema Yisrael HaShem Alekenu HaShem Echad, what we're saying is the Rav is everywhere, at all places, at all times, in every part of my life. The Rav is there with me, and my relationship with HaShem gets deeper and stronger when I recognize that the Rav is not limited to a certain space. The Rav is everywhere everywhere, and in every place. And that's what it means, Malchus of the Rav is everywhere, to be able to reveal the Malchus of HaShem. And that really, again, is the goal of creation, but more so, it's the goal of Chodesh Elul. The month of Elul is not there just to say, Rabban Hashem, I've done wrong, and I messed up, and there are things in my life that I should have done better, and I didn't do right, and please forgive me for those things. That's part of it. But the goal of it is really to peel back the layers. Why do we do things that are wrong? Why aren't we doing that which we should be doing? Because the Rabbanisham is not there enough in our lives. Because we don't feel that the Rabbanisham is holding our hands at every single second. The Rabbanisham is with us in every waking moment of our life. And therefore, if we want to really get to the core of what Shuva is, it's Yechur Hashem Yisbarach. It's the recognition that the Rabbanisham is everywhere. It's being Mamlech Hashem. It's making Hashem king, not only over the areas of our life, which it's obvious Hashem's there. When a woman benches Licht Friday night, it's obvious Hashem's right there. When a woman says to Hillim or Davins, when a woman's involved in something which is an obvious mitzvah, of course Hashem's there. But... To recognize that the dear when I'm feeding my kids cereal. To recognize that when I'm in the park, the is dear. To recognize that when I'm walking down the street, the Ur-Ban Hashem is dear. And that's Avaidas Hashem. That's not just something which is you know a part, this is Avaidas Hashem, the recognition that Hashem is with me at every moment of my life. We say in we say Ashrei every day, we say, Toiv Hashem Lakol, which is a simple translation means, Hashem is good to all people. But the Svarim Taich, Hashem Lakol, Hashem is good for everything. Anything that a person needs in a life, anything that a person goes through, anything that a person's dealing with, good, not good, challenging, easy, all of that. The Banasham's dear. And the is part and parcel. And the goal of the month of Elul is to invite Hashem more and more and more into our lives. To recognize that we want Yichar Hashem is Barak. We want to recognize that Hashem is not limited to when we open up a Siddur. That's obvious Hashem's dear. But Hashem is at every waking moment of our life. Everything we go through, physical or spiritual, the is dear, holding our hands, the HaShem is orchestrating it. And the more we recognize that the HaShem is dear, the more we're able to bring Hashem into those parts of our lives. That's why the month of Elul the svarim say that Elul is the Rosh Hashanah. Elul stands for Anila Deidi Vadeidi Li. The Pasak What is What does Anila Deidi Li? Anila Deidi Vadeidi is translated as I am to my lover, referring to the Rabbanim Shalalem. The Rabbanim is called Klai Yisrael's so lover. Vadeidi and Hashem is Li. The Rabbanim is to me. Now there's a lot of terms that we use for the Rabbanim during the month, during the actual Rosh Hashanah. Asaris Chuvan in Kippur, we refer to him as Avinu and Malkenu. Malkenu means he's the Melech. That means he's running everything. He's ruling everything. Avinu means He's our father. Doidi means something else. Doidi means that there's a relationship of a ish and a ish, of a husband and a wife, between us and Hashem. The difference between a father, a king, and doidi is this difference that we're talking about. If the Hashem is my king, so okay, how much do I have to do with the president? How much do I have to do with the mayor? How much do I have to do with the king? Limited. He runs. He may run. make a lot of decisions that affect me in a very, very real way, but how much is my interaction with him? Pretty limited. How much do I have to do with my father? much more than I have to do with the king. He's much more involved in my life, but I can't say that he's involved in every part of my life. He's not there. The mundane details of my life, I may not share with my father at all times. My relationship could either be stronger, or could be weaker. Those are not parts of my life that I feel like I'm going to call my father at every moment and share all the details of my life because, again, my father has a tremendous impact and fathers have a tremendous impact, but that's not the kind of relationship which you'll just have a shooting the breeze sharing the mundane details of our life. a lover is somebody that you're willing to share those details of your life that seem to be mundane. They don't make a difference, they're not important, there's nothing that can be done about them, but when a person is talking to somebody that they really love, a close friend, a husband and a wife, the goal of those conversations are not only I need to share those parts of my life that are important to you because you can do something about them, because you're Avinu or Malkinu. Anila doydi v'daydi li means that I begin to share parts of my life with Hashem which are seemingly not connected to Avinu or Malkainu. They're not connected to my father. They're not connected to my king. They're just that aspect that I would want to share with the Rabbanish Shlilam because he is Deidi, he is somebody that I love, and he loves me back. And when I have a conversation with Hashem, which the goal of the conversation is inviting Hashem into every part of my life, that's being Mamlach Hashem, that's making Hashem king over every part of my life. If I can sit with the Rabbani and I can talk to Hashem, and not just tell him what I need, because that's part of it. That means he's a Vino and he's Malkainu. He's my father. He can provide for me. He wants to provide for me. He's Malkainu. He's my king, and therefore he could take care of me, and he runs everything in my life. But if I can have a conversation with Hashem outside of the realm of Tefillah, when I just share what's going on in my life, and I tell Rabban Hashem, Hashem, I'm not even asking you for anything. I'm not even telling you this is what I need, and I'm not even thanking you. Rabban Hashem, I just want to share what's going on in my life. I want to be able to tell you, of course, you know it, but when I verbally express what's going on in my life to the Rabban when I take five moments out of my day and I say, Rabban this is what's going on in my life. These are the challenges. These are the good parts of my day. This is what this is what I don't understand that I don't know how to work through. Rabban I just want to share my life with you. When I do that and I verbally express it in this part of tefillah, which is called speaking it out of my own words, what happens is, is I just invited Hashem to parts of my life where he wasn't before. Now suddenly he's involved in every decision that I make. The same way a husband and a wife, the wife will share all parts of her day with her husband because that's how you invite somebody into your life. If you want to have a relationship with somebody, a real relationship, you tell them about every part of your day, you tell them about the things that you went through, the good, the not good, the bad, the ugly, everything that took place, everything that took part, everything that took place throughout the day, even if it's not relevant to them, even if they can't do anything about it, but you share it to create a relationship, to invite them into your life. If you share what goes on in work with your husband, the goal of doing that is to invite your husband into your life so that your husband says, oh, now I understand what your life looks like in all those hours that I don't see you were at work. You invite your husband into the part of your life when you're dropping your kids off at the bus stop, and this and this happened. It's inviting somebody into the parts of your life that they don't know about. When you talk to their rabbinoshim, it's the same thing. The goal of the month of Elul is to make Hashem king in all parts of our life. And the way we do then is, Ani li, inviting Hashem into every part of our life, bringing Hashem into the Gashmias, into the physicality of the world and recognizing that the Rav cares. If the Rav loves us, then the Rav cares about those things which we may, we may think that are too trivial to talk to the Rav about. If we believe, and we have to work on this, but if we honestly believe that the Hashem loves us, then the Hashem cares about it. You know, often in camp, this, this, you know, this question that came up in camp when I was just in camp. You know, kids wanna know, can I daven into Hashem that you know, my, color war, my color war team wins, wins color war? So I said, of course, if it's important to you that your team wins color war, then it's important to Hashem. Because if you believe that the Rabbi Hashem loves you, then the Rabbi Hashem wants to hear about your challenges in color war. And he wants to hear about the fact that you wanna win and that you, you don't like the other team's banner and you hope that your banner is, he wants to hear about all that, why? because He loves you and He wants to hear about all of those parts of your life. It's inviting Hashem, not just, Rabban my uncle's sick, please you know help my uncle get better. You know My, my parents need Parnassah, please. If I can talk to Hashem about color war, which seems to be very trivial, and it is trivial, and as the kid gets older, hopefully that's not the most important part of his life. But by inviting Hashem into those parts of our life, which we think are trivial, what we're doing is we're saying, Rabban you're everywhere and you're part of my every waking moment of my day. And what we're doing is we're allowing the Rav malchus, his kingship, not to be limited to those things which it's obvious already that he's the king over. We know that the Rav takes care of the sick people, and it's only up to him, only he can heal people. And we know that there are things that are beyond our control that only Hashem, only Hashem is in control of. But when we're able to invite Hashem, and to those part of our lives that seem to be mundane, trivial, gashmias, they're physical, they're not spiritual. What we're doing is Hashem is now expanding His borders and Hashem is now becoming a king in areas in which He wasn't a king before. And that's what it means. That's what it means, the Avoida of Chaydeh El. And this is really the ultimate, what tshuva is all about. Tshuva means that I forgot that the Rav HaShem was there. So I didn't do the things that I should have done, or I did things that I should have not done. But when I'm able to focus on why I did the things that were wrong, because my relationship with Hashem wasn't there at every moment, I'm able to get to the core of why I do things wrong and the core of why I don't do enough right, and the core of how I can improve my life, which is creating a deeper, more meaningful relationship with Hashem at every waking moment of my day, so then, yeah, all the other parts of my life will are going to improve naturally and, and, and it will happen in a way which is organic that if I have a deeper relationship with Hashem, if I, if I bring Hashem into every part of my life, all of those areas of my life that are not perfect, that could have some perfection, will eventually get to the place in which they're able to be better. We know that the Bal Tanya writes, this is probably one of the famous, the famous you know, quotes that they say about Elul, that during the month of Elul, the melech is basada, the king is in the field. Right? The Baltania writes that the king is in the field. There's songs about that. There's a lot of talk about that. That the, During the month of Elul, the melech is basada, the king is in the field. What does it mean that the king is in the field? The Baltania explains the king being in the field means this exact thing. The Baltania says that really, if we were able to understand Elul properly, every day of Elul would be a yantif. It wouldn't be a regular day, it would be a yantif. Hashem is revealing His mercy and His kindness to, to call Yisrael. It began all the way when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to get the second set of luchais after doing the Chet of, e, of Ego. And really, if we would understand Elul properly, then it would be a yantif every single day. But uh, the Baal Tanya writes that the month of Elul is not a yantif. The month of Elul is a month in which the Melech, the king, which is the Rabbanish Lalam, is Basada is in the field. The difference about Tanya says between the king being in his palace and the king being in his field is this exact point. If the king is in his palace, so when I walk into the king's palace, which is the base of Mikdash, and I'm Oilil al-Regal, it's obvious that Hashem is the king over there. And it's not a Khidish, and everybody's listening to the king because you're in the palace. And it's obvious that if you're in the palace of the king, you're gonna to listen to the king. There's nothing else you can do because you have to listen to the king. You're in his domain and therefore in his palace, it's obvious that you're gonna to listen to him. Shabbos and Yontif is the domain of Hashem. Shabbos and Yontif are days in which it's obvious Hashem's the king. We stop working, we're involved in more davening and more learning, and we're involved in eating Yontif Sudis and Shabbos Sudis. It's obvious that Hashem is the king over Shabbos and Yontif. But the month of Elul is regular mundane days. It's not, there's nothing special about it. It's just a regular Tuesday, but the beauty of the month of Elul is that the king, which is Hashem, is now basada, is in the field, is in the place where the working people are. He's not, so to speak, you know, locked up and caged up in the palace, and you have to perfect yourself in order to get a relationship with him. The king is now in the field, and everybody's capable of singing to the field. I remember when I was in, years ago, I was, I was in Camp Caltera. I was in seventh grade. Camp Kolterra, which is in Tells in Cleveland, and there's a lot of, a lot of the rosheshivas from Tells Cleveland are, you know, on the campus throughout the, throughout the, month, of, throughout the month of camp, I know they're, they're walking around camp. They're in, the, they're in the shul. They're walking around, you know, walking walking through the uh, walking through the campus. And there's a, there's, I remember clearly that there's two differences between the way you see the Rosh Hashivas. There's one way, one opportunity you have to see the Rosh Hashivas when a lot of times they'll bring the campers in on Shabbos afternoon, on Friday night, you'll go to see the Rosh Hashivas, and then obviously everybody's wearing Shabbos clothing, everybody's dressed properly, everybody's very quiet. You walk in very, very dressed. You know, everyone's walking in single file. The council gives you a big speech before about how to behave, and nobody says anything until the Rosh Hashiva asks you a question. The Rosh says a few things in Yiddish, and you listen to him, and you get inspired. But I remember very clearly as a seventh grader that there was another way, that we saw the Rosh Hashiva. Remember of Chaim Stein very clearly he was the Rosh Hashiva in, in tells. We would be standing on the baseball field, the middle, middle of playing baseball, and suddenly as we we're playing baseball, we're middle, middle of the sixth inning, the Rosh Hashiva Reb Stein walks by and, and everybody suddenly like stops and there's a little bit of you know, cover that everybody has. We're not changing our clothing. We're not stopping and putting down the, the baseball bat and the, and the glove and saying, okay, the game is over, but there's a certain amount of awe that we have That now the Rosh Hashiva is now Basada, he's now here and everybody has the capability to see him. And a lot of the boys, the boys that weren't on the field would run over and shake his hand, you're not wearing a white shirt, you're not dressed properly to to greet the Rosh Hashiva, how can you go over to him and say Shalom Aleichem to him if you're not dressed properly? The answer is that there's a difference. When the Rosh Hashiva is in his house, there's one way that you approach him, you can dress properly, make sure that you're quiet, make sure that you wash yourself off before, it's Shabbos, it's in a way which is with a lot of covet and a lot of respect. But there's another way that you greet Rosh Hashiva. When Rosh is out on the baseball field and he's walking by the baseball game, so then you're in your regular clothing, it's a regular day, it's a Tuesday afternoon, it's not Shabbos, you're not wearing your Shabbos clothing, your hands are not clean, you just played a game of baseball, but you have the opportunity to be able to greet greatness because greatness came out to the field. And that's what the month of Elul is. It's not the month where we go to the palace, that happens after. The month of Elul is when the palace comes out to us. When the king comes out to the Sada, the Sada always represents the place of working. Esav was called as Ish Sada. He was a person that hung out in the field because Esav was involved in the physical world. Esav's whole avodah, everything Esav did was involved in the physical world. But the Melech comes out to the Sada during the month of Elul. We're able to bring Hashem into the everyday parts of our life during the month of El And that's what it means to really do, to do tshuva during El. It's not just focusing on everything I've done wrong and everything I should have done right. That's a very difficult task to do. Rather, it's bringing Hashem, being Mamlech Hashem, coronating Hashem, making Hashem the king over those areas which it wasn't obvious that is the king before. Reb Nachman Brestleber had, had a chassid. We used to come visit him very often in Brestley. He used to come in, and he used to talk to him, and get advice from him, but eventually Baruch Hashem, did very well, and became very wealthy, and he no longer had the time to go visit his Rebbe. So he was, you know, running back and forth to the marketplace, he was doing big business deals, and maybe he came to the Rebbe once a year, maybe twice a year, he didn't have time to really come in the way he used to, but he didn't have as much money. And one day he was walking by Ibn Nachman's house, and Ibn Nachman called him in, he was walking by Ibn Nachman's house, and Rabbi Nachman called him in. And Ibn Nachman asked him, he said, did you look at the sky today? So he said. <laughs> No, but I'm sorry, I'll tell you the truth, I, I haven't, I'm, I'm pretty busy. I'm in the middle of running business, he yells, I haven't had the chance to look at the sky. So Nachman says, look out the window. And he was overlooking the marketplace, his house and Brestov was overlooking the marketplace. He says, what do you see outside? So he said, I see horses and carriages running back and forth. I see businessmen rucking, running back and forth. I see the marketplace. This is a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of things happening on. Abraham said, believe me, trust me, that in 50 years from now, there's gonna be, the, be other horses and other businessmen and other shops in this marketplace. There's gonna be a lot of hustle and bustle. He says, what is here today is not gonna be here anymore. He said, how do you not have time to be able to look up at the sky while you're standing here in the marketplace? The sky's not gonna change. Everything in the marketplace is physical, it's moving. But if you have the ability, rahman says, to be standing in the marketplace and while you're in the marketplace, to be able to look up at the sky and to be able to attach this physical world, the Sada, to the place of the Melech, then you're attaching everything physical, which is just moving; it's just temporary, and you're giving it real, real, you're giving it real meaning. Now those things that look like they're just fleeting, and those things that are here today and gone tomorrow, are now no longer insignificant because you just brought the Rabbunishim, you just brought the sky down to the earth. You just attached Shemayim and Aretz. And the Cheducherem used to say very often that the pasuk tells us Hashemayim Shemayim Hashem, the heaven was given to Hashem, v'haAretz and the physical land, land was given to Adam. But the Hadush HaRim used to say that the reason why land was given to man was to be able to connect it to Shemayim. That it wasn't given to man, that we're supposed to keep those two domains separate. The goal of being given arets, the goal of being given this physical world, the marketplace, the things that we're involved in throughout the day, is to be able to take the Shemayim and to be able to attach it down to this world, to be able to stop time and time throughout the day. If we want to create a real relationship with somebody, the way we do it is we text them throughout the day, we call them throughout the day, we share parts of our life throughout the day as we're going through our day. We say, oh, this just happened to me and this just happened to me and I had a difficult time at work and this thing, the kids have been difficult today, I've been cranky today. That's the way we're able to share our life with somebody else, whether it's a friend, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a parent, that's the way we share our lives and create a relationship. With Hashem, it's no different. We don't have to wait until the time that we daven. We don't have to wait till Shabbos and Yontif. We don't have to wait until the time that we have some moments of quiet to be able to connect to Hashem. And every waking moment of our day, we have the moment to stop, and like Abed Nachman said, to look up at the sky and say, Rabbi it's difficult right now. Rabbi I need a little help. Rubbanisham, thank you so much that my kids are behaving nicely. Rubbanisham, thank you so much for making sure that the store had a parking spot right next to the at every moment, at everything that we go through. Tayv Hashem Lakal. Hashem is good for everything. When we can invite Hashem into the parking spots, into the grocery stores, into the babysitters, that we're able to get into a babysitter or into a school, and we're able to make sure that everything's working well and everything's work, working the way we would like it to work, or everything's not working the way we'd like it to work. And we're telling the Rubbanisham about the complaints and about the things that are not going well, and what we're doing is we're allowing the Rubbanisham to be the melech. To be the king in areas that he wasn't the king before, are able to. He's able to spread the borders beyond. We're able to bring the melech, the king, down into the sada, down into the field. This is why we find that in our parsha, our parsha's parasha, kisavai begins with the concept of bikurim. And the concept of bikurim is a fascinating thing that happens in bikurim. Here we have a farmer who sits, who lives far away from Yishalayim, and he's somebody who spends months and months and months in the field. Probably doesn't have a lot of time to learn not a lot of time to daven, he's, he's a physical person. He's a, he's a laborer who's sitting involved in the field. He's plowing, he's planting, he's sweating, he's up at 6 a.m., going to, sleep at, you know, going to sleep as soon as the sun goes down, so he can wake up at the crack of dawn. He's somebody who's involved in physical labor the whole day. He then finds a new fruit. As the fruits start growing, the Chazal tell us he has to tie a red string onto them, and then he takes a basket of the first fruits up to the base of Mikdash. The mission of Bikurim tells us that as he got closer to Shalim, as his procession, of all those that were bringing Bikurim closer to Yushalayim. Got closer to Yushalayim, they sent a message to those people in Yushalayim, and the Zakanim, and the Saganim, the Gezbeirim, all the Chashva people, the most respected people in Yushalayim, the people that's lives were only spiritual, the people that lived within close proximity to the base of HaMikdash, that were there on a daily basis, would come out to greet this farmer. So you can imagine the scene, here you have a farmer, he's there in his overalls, he's somebody who spent months and months and months in the field, he's the, he's the, he's the epitome of what physicality looks like. He's somebody who's involved in physical labor. He's working hard. He doesn't have a lot of time for Torah and Avedah. And he's getting closer to Shalayim. and all the Cheshavah people, all the Fraks and the Bekishas and all the Kain Gadol, all the Cheshavah people in the Beis HaMikdash and in Yushalayim are now coming out to greet this physical farmer, this physical laborer. And they start to dance him. The, pas- the mission tells them Bikurim, they would dance with song and with, with flutes and they would dance him back into the Beis HaMikdash. And it seems odd. It's nice. He's a farmer. And it's very nice that he's brought his fruits to the Beis HaMikdash. But the Chash of the people, the most respected people in Yishalayim, should go out to greet the farmer. What did the farmer do that it deserves? The respect. He brought a few fruits to Yishalayim. But the Mepharshim explained to us that what the farmer did was the farmer revealed the Rabbanu Shalelam in a way that those living in Yishalayim can never reveal Hashem. Those living in close proximity to the Beis HaMikdash in Yishalayim they, they they were able to see the Rubbanisham in Armina Shamalach in the palace of the king. And therefore what they did wasn't a khadish. It's not hard to be holy and spiritual when you're in the base of Mikdash, when you're in Yerushalayim, when you're living in close proximity to holiness. But when they recognize that the farmer who lives miles and miles away, hours away from Yerushalayim, who doesn't have the time to learn and daven properly, who's out there in the field day in, day out, is able to recognize that there's a Rubanishlam and is able to take the fruits of his labor to the base of Mikdash, they say that's something that we respect. Because what you've done is something that we don't have the ability to do. What the Baal Shuba does is something that the Tzadik can't do. What the person that's involved in physical world, which is all of us, do is something that the person who's cut off in this physical world can never do. It's revealing Hashem in the field. And what the laborer does, the person bringing the B'kurim does, is he reveals the Rabbanish LALAM within the field, within the physical world. And that's the avoida of Chaydash Elo. It sounds very simple, and it sounds very basic, but when a person does this again and again and again, and you invite the Rabbanu into more areas of your life by thanking Him, by asking Him, but more, but more importantly, by sharing your life with the Rabbanu to spend time just telling the about what's going on in your life, sharing those parts of your life which you may think are unimportant to Hashem, and you may think the doesn't care. But if you believe that Anila Deidi Li, that the is not just a Venu and not just Malkin, he's not a father and our King, but he's Deity, he's our lover, he loves us, he's a real intimate relationship with every single Yid and you Yisrael, and he wants to hear about every part of our life. So we recognize that everything in our life is now spiritual. There's no separation between physical and spiritual. Everything has become spiritual. And that's the goal of creation, and that's the goal of Chodesh El. And therefore, as we get closer and closer to Rosh Hashanah, which is the days in which we coronate Hashem, we focus on this aspect alone. During the days of Rosh Hashanah, we don't daven at all, at all for the, our physical needs. We don't focus on our physical needs. We don't focus on everything we need. It's the days in which we're being judged about everything that's gonna take place throughout the year, we don't focus on it. We don't say, Rabban this is what we need and this is what we need and this didn't go right. All we focus is on one thing. The Rabba Hashem should become the Melech on the whole world. It doesn't just mean the whole physical world, but it means my own world. On all parts of my life. On all parts of my world and everything that takes place throughout, me, throughout my day. I want the Rabban to become the Melech, to become the King, to recognize that Machusai, B'chol mashallah that the Oban is everywhere. And that's why the Pusach says in Parashim that Tshuva is lo'i ba'ashamayim hi is not in heavens. Tshuva is lo'i me'ever ayam is not on the other side not, not on the other side of the ocean. Tshuva is ki elecha hadaver ma'id Tshuva is the closest thing to us in the world. doesn't mean that Tshuva is easy. It means that tshuva is in our life already. Chuva means returning to Hashem. Chuva means revealing Hashem in areas that it wasn't revealed before. Tshuva, you don't have to go anywhere to do tshuva. You don't have to go to Shemaim. It's not about becoming heavenly. It's not about, it's not about cutting yourself off from this physical world. It's not about focusing on everything I've done wrong. Real tshuva means inviting Hashem into this world and into my world in places that it wasn't before. It's karav elecha hadavar ma'id. It's the closest and easiest thing to do. It just means that throughout the day, we look up at the sky, doesn't have to be the actual sky, but we look up at the sky, we look up at heaven, we look up at Hashem, and we say, Rubbanisham, I want to invite you into this part of my life. I realize that this this part of my life may look mundane, it may look physical, it may, it may, it may not look spiritual, it may look like something which is apart from the world of spirituality, but Rubbanisham, I recognize that you are right here. That Yikharashem is Barak means Rubbanisham, you are part of this part of my life. That you're not separate, you're not apart from this, you are part of this life. The same way you're in the base Medrash, the same way in the basic knesses, the same way you're in davening and learning, and in a Shabbosuda, you're here right now within the the everyday mundane things in my life, that's what it means to make Hashem the Melech. And when we do that during the month of Elul, that's real, Anila and that's what it means to make Hashem the Melech. And once we do that, then when we come into our Saryot Chuva and we ask the Rabbana lalam to forgive us. And we tell the Rabban Hashem all the things it's so much easier to do. Because now the Rabban Hashem is part of my life. Now I have a relationship with Hashem. And now I want to do what the Rabban Hashem wants me to do. And now I want to be able to impress the Rabban Hashem and be able to do what He wants me to do because I have a relationship with Him. I have a connection with Him. It's He's part of my life. And when He's part of my life, so I want to do the things that, he, that I know that He wants me to do. When I love somebody, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm fulfilling their every want and every desire. And therefore it becomes much, much easier to be involved in that, con- in that concept called chuva and that's really the way chuva begins and really again as we said it's the core it's the essence of chuva it was and I'll just end with this story because I think hopefully it, it sums up a little bit what we're talking about which is again something which we can talk about you know for days on end and something which I think is the core of what it means to be living a life which is pneumious, a life of of inner work, a life where it's not just chitanias, we're not just looking at the world as something external, we're able to peel back the layers on this world and reveal Hashem in places that He wasn't revealed before, to peel back the curtain, to find Hashem hiding behind everything in our life, this is what the month of Chodesh Allah was. There was a chassid whose name is Bravam Kalaskar. He originally didn't grow up as a chassid like many of the earlier chassidim do, did. He grew up as a litvak. Not only was he a litvak, he was a chavrusa of the Vilnagain, who was, you know, the the one who was the head of of all the litvaks and that, that at that same period as the Baal Shemtiv. he was a Chavrusu at the gain which to be a Chavrusu at the gain means that you're not somebody simple. He's obviously in entire, entire learning, he's obviously somebody who is, you know, a, a genius beyond anything we could comprehend. The Bravam Kalaskar is buried in, he's buried in Erich uh, Yisrael, in we actually went, we went to Shibol on the trip, we went, went, went to his cavern at he's buried at the Bravam Kalaskar. You know, at a certain point in his life, he moved over from being a Chavusa of the Vilna Gain to being a Talmud of the Mizritcher Magid. The Misrich Magid was the main Talmud of the Balshamtev, was the Balshamtev was the first generation of Chesidus. His main Talmud that took over was Mizritcher Magid, and the Ravam Kalaskar became, became a Chassid of the Mizritcher Magid. Somebody asked him one time, what made you make that change? What made you move from being in the world of the Vilna Gain to moving over to the world of Ravam Kalaskar? What made you make that radical change from moving from one world to the other, the world of the Gain to the world of the Balshamtev? So he said, "I'll tell you the truth." He said, "For years, I lived in seclusion. I lived by myself. I don't want to talk to anyone because I felt that talking to other people and interacting with other people would be bittul Torah. I sat in my room. I learned either by myself. I learned with Devlin Lagoyin and a Chavrusa. But my day was spent learning and davening at a very, very little interaction with the physical world, with the outside world, with anything that wasn't just connected to my avoda right now. had very little interaction." He said, "One day, I was walking on the way to the Bais Medrash." And I saw a chassid. It was a chassid, a chassidist, guy standing there, and he's purchasing a bale of hay to feed to his horses. And as he's doing it, he screams out loud, and he joyously, he joyously, like, sings to himself, Mole haaretz kenyanacha." that we say in Davening, the world is filled with things that the Rabbin Hashem owns. Kenyan means that has, things which Hashem owns. Mole haaretz, he starts singing to himself, Mole haaretz kenyanacha." So I go over to him, I say, like, what? you're, you're getting, a, getting a bale of hay, and you're singing Mole haaretz kenyanacha.' What, 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 like, what's going on? So he said it's very simple. The word kinyanecha could either mean things that Hashem owns, kinyanecha could also mean mole ha'aretz that the world is filled with, kinyanecha ways that we can acquire a relationship with Hashem, kinyanecha ways that we can be kaina, ways that we can acquire a relationship with Hashem. He said the whole world is filled with opportunities for me to be able to get closer to Hashem. So he said, you can look at this as a physical activity. I'm buying a bale of hay to feed to my horses, but he says, I look at this as something spiritual. This is an opportunity. This is a moment for me to be able to get close to Hashem, to daven that my horse likes the hay, that my horse does well, that I'm able to afford buying the hay. This now became something which is physical, and it's molly ha'aretz. I'm able to reveal Hashem that this is also, this moment of buying groceries, this moment of buying a bale of hay, is an opportunity for me to get a greater relationship with Hashem. One from college to go, moves on. It's a interesting way of, you know, viewing, buying a bale of hay. And he moves on and he goes to the base Medrash. He's sitting in the base Medrash and it starts to bother him. He says, here I am, I'm sitting and learning, and I don't feel that joy. I don't feel that relationship, that connection, that that chassid felt when he was buying a bale of hay. When I'm sitting here in Hashem's palace, learning, I don't feel that same relationship. It bothered him. It started to bother him tremendously. And he's sitting there trying to put his head back into learning, but it's bothering him. He said, that simplicity, that joy, that relationship that he felt in every... Interaction that he had with this physical world that he felt with Hashem, he said, I'm missing that. He runs out of the Bismedrish and he runs back to that place where he saw that Chasa and he said, Tell me what's the secret? Where do, you, where do you get this from? Where do you get the ability to be able to, to sing as you're buying the bale of hey, something so physical to feed your animal, not to feed your family, to feed your animal? How do you how are you able to be so joyous and find Hashem in that moment? So he said, I'll tell you the answer. The answer is one word, Mizrich. He said, if you go to my Rebbe, the Mizrich Magid, and you go to him, I'll teach you this secret. So Itaka we went. And Brahm Kalska goes to Mizritcha Magad and he becomes a chassid of Mizritcha Magad. Years later, he ended up meeting his old chavrus the Vilna Gain. And the Vilna Gain said, listen, you've become a chassid, been by hanging out by the Mizritcha Magad. What have you learned? Tell me in one word, in one sentence, what have you learned from the Mizritcha Magad that you didn't have over here? What have you learned over there that gave you the ability to be able to see, see the world in a new light? So he said, I learned, two, I learned one sentence, two words, and I learned a new understanding of what these words mean. He said, the Mizritcha Magad taught me is v'chai bahem. V'chai means live with them, but V'chai Beham also means that to celebrate, that the Torah was given to man, the Torah was given to humans, to celebrate life in every moment, in every waking moment within the presence of Hashem. And the Rabbah wants us to know Him in all of our ways, in everything that we go through, physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, things that we deal with our kids, with, with the buses, with babysitters, things that are so mundane and so trivial that we look at as, you know, so insignificant to ourselves and for sure to the Rabbah Nishal Olam, means live with with Hashem in those moments. Find Hashem in those moments. He said, that's what the Mizrach taught me and it opened my eyes to be able to see the world in a new way. Instead of looking at it as a nuisance that I have to go buy something to feed my animals, now I realize it's an opportunity. If, if the Rabbah put me in this world to sleep, to eat, to be involved in physical things, to be involved in so many different things, it wasn't by mistake. It was on purpose. The one put me in this world to be involved in the physical world so that I can reveal Hashem in areas that He wasn't revealed before. To be able to, be, to, be able to spread that malchus of Hashem, the kingdom of Hashem, to areas in which it wasn't obvious that there was a king before. And he said, that's what the Mizrachim Maga taught me. Live with the Hashem at every waking moment of your day. Invite Hashem into your life and live with Him. I think that that's perhaps probably the most important nekuda, most important point we can focus on during Chaydash Elo. Aside from focusing on everything we've done wrong and right, which is important, we'll get to that during Gesserit Sumayi Chuva. when we do Al-Khayr and ash we'll get to all of that. But before that, a preface to all that, is creating a deeper relationship with Hashem. Is aniladay inviting Hashem into every moment of our day. Mirza Hashem should help us by inviting Hashem in, by bringing Hashem into that which looks mundane and trivial to us and to Hashem, and that which we think is unimportant, by talking to Hashem about it, by conversing with Hashem about it, by telling him how we feel, what we're going through, what our day looks like, and by, and by requesting things from him, and by thanking him for things, and by inviting him into those things which look mundane and physical and simple, we'll be able to make the Rabbanishim the king over domains that he wasn't, the, wasn't obviously the king before. And in that way, it will be to Mashiach, when it will be revealed to the whole world that Hashem is the king. Finally, the curtain will be pulled back. And it will be revealed that Hashem is the king, which is what we daven for, the whole Rosh Hashanah. And in that way, all the chuba will happen, all the soram ira'al, leaving the evil will happen, everything will happen in a proper way. And it will be to the Mashiach, revealing Hashem's presence in every real area of our life.